Exodus 29. Exodus 29. We're going to look at the ordination of the priesthood. Ordination. And again, feel free to ask the Kate. Brother Kate, they're waiting for you. Call out your name. <laughs> um, you know, I uh, when we get to these type of chapters in the Bible where there's numbers and specifications and offerings and instructions, I just I develop this like strong like. Uh, Antipathy toward reading those chapters. I just have such a hard time reading it carefully. And uh, I'm just like, I kind of gloss over them, and I kind of skim over them, and I finish. I have no idea what I read, just a whole bunch of words, and kind of all these kind of images mashed together in my brain. So it was, it's really helpful, I realized, just to uh, actually study it, you know, study it, have a commentary. Just go through it verse by verse, and it just makes you uh, focus and to get down into the intricacy and the nuts and bolts of what's going on. And it's it's really, it's really quite edifying. It was really, I, was, I really enjoyed doing that. Uh, it was just so much better than reading it. So here's one, one, uh, one portion of Scripture where I find reading it is almost impossible versus studying it, and studying it makes it... Uh, just a, a, a lot more enjoyable and a lot clearer. And uh, so I encourage you to do that. When you have tough parts, uh, go, go, on, go to Amazon, uh, ask Google a, a commentary on that book, and, and, and study it via a commentary. And uh, I think that will be really helpful. This is going to be really helpful also when we get to Leviticus and we get into all the different uh, details about offerings. Exodus 29 will kind of, it gets our feet wet for Leviticus. There's some, uh, especially chapter 29 corresponds uh, with Leviticus, uh, I believe, Leviticus, what is it, uh, 8 and 9. And so uh, we can get a clear grasp of eight of Exodus 29, and then later we can get a good handling of Levit Leviticus 8 and 9. Then, apparently, Ezekiel 40 to 48 it describes uh, this uh, ordination of priests, where all of Israel is not a priesthood. And so if we can get Exodus 29 and Leviticus 8 and 9 clear in our minds, when we get to Ezekiel 40 through 48, it'll be really clear. We'll say, oh wait, I know what kind of what kind of offering that is. That's not an that's not a sin offering. That's not an atonement offering. That's a that's a ordination. That's the those are the sacrifices for ordaining, ordaining priests, and so it kind of all works together. And so uh, this is this is profitable. But even though it might it might feel a little dry, it might feel like uh, um, not as relevant as maybe other portions of scripture. Uh, it's still God's word, and it's it's still going to be helpful. Uh, but we're kind of just building a foundation for later portions of scripture where the relevance will be um, a little clearer. So, having said that, uh, let, let's read chapter 29 together. Uh, who wants to read uh, verses um, 1 through 14 for me? I'll do it. Okay. Uh, who wants to read verses 15 to 30? I'll do it. Sweet. And who wants to uh, do 31 to 46? I'll read. Awesome. All right. Uh, now this is what you shall do to them to set them apart as holy to minister as priests to me take one bowl from the herd and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread and unleavened paste mixed with oil and unleavened wafers with oil you shall make them a fine wheat flour and you shall put them in one basket and bring them near in the basket along with the bowl and the two rams then you shall bring Aaron and his sons near to the doorway of the tent of meeting, and wash them with water. And you shall take the garments, and put on Aaron the tunic, and the robe of the ephod, and the ephod, and the breastpiece, and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head, and put the holy crown on the turban. 
Then you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. <clears throat> and you shall bring his sons near and put tunics on them. You shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and bind caps on them. And they shall have the priesthood by perpetual statute. So you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Then you shall bring the bull near before the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. You shall slaughter the bull before Yahweh at the doorway of the tent of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. And you shall pour out all the blood at the base of the altar. You shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them, and you shall offer them up in smoke on the altar. But the flesh of the bull and its hide and its refuse you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. You shall also take the one ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. And you shall slaughter the ram, and you shall take its blood and splash it around on the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into its pieces, and wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and its head. You shall offer up and smoke the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to Yahweh. It is a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to Yahweh. Then you shall take the second ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. You shall slaughter the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the lobes of his son's right ears and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet and splash the rest of the blood around the altar. Then you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments and on his sons and on his son's garments with him so he and his son's garments shall be set apart as holy as well as his son's and his son's garments with him. You shall also take the fat from the ram, the fat tail, and the fat that covers the entrails, and the lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, and the right thigh, for it is a ram of ordination, and one cake of bread, and one cake of bread mixed with oil, and one wafer to the basket of unleavened bread, which is set before Yahweh. And you shall put all these in the hand of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before Yahweh. You shall take them from their hands and offer them up in smoke on the altar on the burnt offering for a soothing aroma before Yahweh. It is an offering by fire to Yahweh. Then you shall take the breast of Aaron's ram of ordination and wave it as a wave offering before Yahweh, and it shall be your portion. You shall set apart as holy the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the contribution offering which was waved and which has raised up as a contribution from the ram of ordination, from the one which was for Aaron and from the one which was for his sons. It shall be for Aaron and his sons a perpetual statue from the sons of Israel, for it is a contribution offering, and it shall be a contribution offering from the sons of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings, even their contribution offering to Yahweh. The holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him, that in them they may be anointed and ordained. For seven days, the one of his sons who is priest in his stead shall put them on when he comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place. Let's take the rounds for the ordinations cook the meat in a set acid place at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons are to eat the meat of the rams and the bread that is in the basket. They are to eat these offerings by which atonement was made for their ordained ordinations and consecration. But no one else may eat them because they are sacred. If any, if, and if any of the, uh, the meat of the ordination's ram or any bread is left over to morning, bring it up. It must not be eaten because it is sacred. Do, do for errands and he sends everything I have commanded you, taking, uh, taking seven days to ordain them. Sacrifice a boo each day as a sin offering to make atonement. Purify the altar by making atonement for it and anointed to consecrate it for seven days to make atonements for the altar and consecrate it. 
then the altar will be most holy, and whatever touch it will be holy. This is what uh, this is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day. Two lambs, a year old, offer one in the morning and another in Trima. With the first lamb offer a tenth of uh, uh, the flour mixed with the mixed with a quarter of hints of oil called pressing olive and a quarter of the hint of wine as a drinking offering. Sacrifice the Netherlands uh, in Trinidad with the same drink offering and its drink offering as in the morning. A third pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire. For the gener for the generations to come to uh, come this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet you, meet you and speak to you. There also I will meet with the Israelites, and the place will be consecrated by my glory. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will throw among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of Egypt, so that I may throw among them. I am the Lord their God. Great, thank you so much. Well, I'm going to do some review, uh, and I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to hammer this home until uh, we, we get every chapter, because this structure is not that hard to um, nail down. And so when you read it again, uh, having the structure, knowing where everything is, it'll make the, the, the reading of, of Exodus very clear for you and very helpful for you. So let's do it. I don't apologize for the review again. So what happens in chapters 1 through 15? You have to get this one down. 1 through 15, what happens? Summarize it in a sentence. How to signify Ellen and his son. Oh, no, no, I'm talking about chapters, chapters 1 through 15, not, not, not verses, sorry. Uh, chapters 1 through 15. Slavery and the ten plagues. Yep, slavery and ten plagues, you got it. Uh, you guys always miss this one. 16 and 17. It's, remember, where, where are they going? Where They're leaving Egypt, and where are they going? To receive what? The Ten Commandments. So in the meantime, what do you think logically might happen in chapters 16 and 17 as they go to Mount Sinai to receive the law? All of them why they need the law? Yeah, so there's a preparation stage. This is what the, the purpose of the law will be. So God is preparing them to receive the law, and the law does two things, right? Points out our sin, and it points the way to salvation. 16 and 17 make that really clear. When you when you look, when you get to Sinai on chapter kind of 20-ish, 19 and 20-ish, Israel know this, that the purpose of the law is to reveal your sin and to point you to salvation. What happens in chapter 18? I'll give you a hint, and you tell me the significance of this. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, they worship together. What is the significance of that? Right, right. Jethro is a Gentile, Moses is a Jew, and they both worship the same God. To show a preview of the final chapter of God's salvation plan, when all of the world, led by Israel, worships Christ. Right? Uh, chapter 19, what happens? They reach Mount Sinai, and then what does God need to do when they reach Mount Sinai? He needs to establish, establish Sinai's reputation. What is the reputation of Sinai? What is the reputation of the law? Uh, what will the what will kind of what will the first thought be when you think of the law? Right, chapter nineteen also is where God uh, declares that Israel is His treasured possession. It's a little hard. Uh, this is an easy one. What happens in chapters twenty to twenty three? The law, the content of the law. After 
After the, the, the Ten Commandments are given in chapter 20, chapter 21, just to give you some added detail, this is where uh, new instructions about slavery are given in order to demonstrate to the world through this new way of doing slavery, this is how sinners and a holy God have a relationship through the, these new uh, slave regulations and laws. And what we learn about that, that new slavery system is that a slave is treated just like a son. To show what? That when you become a slave of Yahweh, from Pharaoh, from a slave of Pharaoh to a slave of Yahweh, you also become his son. Right? So uh, chapters 20 to 23 show that. Uh, what about chapter 24? What's the significance of it? I'll tell you what happened and you tell me the significance of it. God invites Moses and Israel's leaders up to Mount Sinai to have fellowship with God and they don't die. What is the significance of that? Yeah, it's a preview of the end when we'll be able to draw near to God, right? In Christ. So that's chapter 24. 25 through 27. That's an easy one. The tabernacle, right. And that establishes a relationship with Israel. This is how... Uh, and what does the tabernacle point out about Israel's relationship with God? It points out two big things. What is that? Tabernacle uh, explain or or yeah how, how does the tabernacle describe Israel's relationship with God? Two things. Number one, it describes that Israel can have a relationship with their God. That's pretty awesome, right? But there's a tension there because. What does the tabernacle show? What's the second thing it shows? They can have a relationship with God. Pretty awesome. But there's a tension. It also shows what? Blessing the person? No, not yet. Separation. Remember, the Israelites, the okay, the priests can go into the holy place. But in the court of tabernacle. That's where the Israelites have to stay. They can't go any farther. They're in the outer court. And so um, it shows that. Chapter 28 and 29, uh, it deals with the priesthood. Uh, chapter 28, we looked at uh, the garments of the priest. And the garments symbolize holiness and creation and the reality of God's presence, filling each priest individually. And the priests. Uh, the priest's ministry to Israel models what to Israel? Israel's calling the as a priesthood, right? The way the priests treat Israel shows them daily, Israel, this is how you are to be priests. This is how you are to be a kingdom of priests to the rest of the world. So they show that, uh, that they, they model that chapter 28. Chapter 29, so chapter 28, we, we deal with their garments, what they wear. Remember the, the uh, what, 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 was the, what was the interesting name that we learned? Was that one interesting name? The breastpiece of, judge, breast of judgment called what? Urim and Thummim, right? And this, this, is a, uh, this shows that God uh, speaks... God communicates to his people uh, from time to time through the Urim and the Thummim. We don't know exactly how. And we had the, 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 uh, the shoulder, what is it, the ephod. We had the two, uh, the shoulder pads, right? We had the breast, the kind of the, what is it, the breast piece of all the, all the jewels, the name, and, and, and all of it were colors and uh, significations of Eden, right? Gold represented God's glory. Uh, the gemstones, the onyx stone, you see that the onyx stones are found, found in Genesis 2, in Eden, the colors are Eden. Um, 
the pomegranates uh, that line the uh, robe of the ephah that take us uh, point us back to Eden. So uh, there's a uh, God dwelling within each each uh, priest. That's what it signifies uh, to show uh, this is this is how God will dwell with us when He returns. In chapter 29, we deal with the ordination of the priests. Before the priest can facilitate and mediate God's presence and glory, they need to be consecrated. They need to be set apart. Uh, and uh, chapter 29 prescribes the ceremony for this ordination of priests. Leviticus 8 and 9, as I said earlier, earlier complements this chapter. And then, as I said earlier, in Ezekiel 40 through 48, is the final fulfillment of Exodus 29. And you have uh, where in Exodus uh, 36, each of them are filled with God's glory individually. And then 40 through 48, you have this new temple where there's a, the, the, the ordination of priests, this, this ritual ceremony takes place, this time for all of, na- all of the nation Israel, as they now uh, fulfill their calling to be a kingdom of priests to the rest of the nations, right? So... Uh, if you haven't been a paper, I think it will be helpful if you write all the points that I'm going to present to you. So if you haven't pen and paper, those will make it easier to kind of uh, dissect and understand later for you. Point number one. I'm going to have a lot of points. In seminary, they tell you no more than three or four points. I'm going to have a lot more than that. And um, so point number one. Uh, summary, a summary of the ordination process. A summary of the ordination process, verses 1 through 9. Verses 1 through 9 gives a summary of what we're going to see in the rest of the chapter. First, in verses 1 and 2, God names all the materials that are going to be needed for this ordination. These materials that we will see later on in chapter 29. So in verses 1 and 2, this is they need to collect. These are all the these are the, all the materials you need to collect and gather together before we can have this ordination uh, ordination ceremony for the priests. You need we need one bull, okay? We need two rams, verse one. Then we need unleavened bread, unleavened cakes, unleavened wafers. Okay, that's that's what we need. These are all the materials that we're going to need for chapter twenty nine and our ordination uh, ceremony. Verse 3. Once you get all this, once you get the, uh, not the not the bull or not the rams, but the bread and the cakes and the wafers, you're going to put that in a basket, and you're going to bring them near in the basket along with the, the one bull and the two rams. And this basket just reinforces the formality of the meal, right? If uh, I invite you for a, a special dinner to celebrate, uh, uh, you know, Paul's kindergarten graduation, I'm going to put up on fine china, a nice silver platter, not really, but it's just to show you this is this is a really special meal, right? Really special thing going on. Okay, so we're just kind of um, getting all the materials together. We're summarizing what's going to happen. Um, verse 4, then we need to bring Aaron, and now they need to be ritually cleansed. They need, they need to be ritually cleansed. And you're going to wash them with water. They're going to be cleansed at the doorway of the tent of the meeting. And that was, um, this is an era where humans didn't know anything about germs or health the health value of cleanliness. And, you know, Washing after the sacrifice, that would have been common sense, right? Even though they lack scientific knowledge about germs and stuff, germ theory. Um, you know, you're dirty, you're sweaty, you're bloody. Obviously, you're going to wash yourself. That's a no-brainer. No but to wash before the sacrifice, that's kind of that's kind of interesting, right? And this represented their obedience to God. This kind of, this symbol was... Um, showed uh, this connection of cleanliness and purity and holiness. And so you have this kind of symbol there in the washing of the, of the priest. And next, uh, 
All the garments that we looked at in chapter 28 last Friday, all the garments described, this is how you're to make it, this is what it's supposed to look like. Now you put those garments on the priest in verses 5 and 6, right? Take the garments, put on Aaron the tunic, the robe of the ephod. You remember this, the ephod, the breastplate, the breastpiece, uh, girt, the woven band of the ephod. You remember that. Verse 6, put the turban on his head, put the holy crown on the turban. We all know that. So now they're dressed. Verse 7, we take the anointing oil, we pour it on his head, we anoint him, okay? Verse 8 and 9, that was just Aaron. That was Aaron. In 8 and 9, we bring Aaron's sons down. They're part of the priestly line, the priestly family, and now they're, they, they have their tunics put on them, but they're not anointed, interesting. They have different clothes. They don't, they don't put on the, the holy crown. Right? So it's, there is a difference here. You don't see a, an ephod. You don't see a, a breastpiece, right? And so really, in verses 1 through 7, is the, this consecration of the high priest. And then verse 8, eight and 9, the consecration of Aaron's sons, who are the kind of the junior priests. Okay, point number one. Point number one, got it? Point number two, point number two, the bull offering, verses 10 through 14. Verses 10 through 14, uh, Moses describes that this is how we're going to offer the bull. The bull is the standard offering for the priest. Just know that. Um, the, the bull is brought before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the bull, probably signifying that kind of this atoning sacrifice. Aaron and his sons kind of put their, their uh, they transfer their sins to the bull. You shall slaughter the bull before Yahweh at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Meeting question, question for you. Do you, okay, do you think the bull was sacrificed outside the tent of meeting or inside the tent of, tent of meeting? Meeting and why? This is where I'm going to try to try to train you to be a careful reader. So, it says that the bull is slaughtered at the end of verse 11 at the doorway of the tent of meeting. We don't know, however, if it's outside the tent of meeting, where the altar is and the courtyard, or whether it's inside the tent of meeting, where was the bull probably sacrificed? Inside the tent or outside the tent? Why do you think so? Why do you think that way? It represents the sin that once Aaron and, and his son transferred the sin to the bull, that means he that all would be representing the transgression. Uh you're 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 that's good. You're adding you're adding some good theology there <laughs> implication. But it's it's it, 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 there's so in the text itself, there's something there's some really so, something clear that probably indicates where it was sacrificed. That we don't even have to kind of go that far and make these theological deductions. Do you mean verse 11? Yeah, yeah, it's verse 11. There's a clue there. What's the clue? So the doorway, so it could be outside the door or inside the door, inside the tent or outside the tent. So you know how there's the, the you know how it kind of looks with the ten, yeah. So where do you think it is? Well, look at you know, verse eleven. It says before Yahweh, right? Before Yahweh, in the presence of Yahweh. Where did Yahweh dwell? Inside the tent or outside the tent? Inside the tent. Inside the tent. So we can probably conclude then, if it's we're slaughtering the the, the bull before Yahweh. It's probably inside the tent, right? Because that's where he, that's where he dwells. So the bull is sacrificed. It's I mean, it's slaughtered inside the tent at the doorway of the tent of meeting, right at the doorway. And then in verse twelve, what do you do? You put, you take the blood of the bull and you you place it in two places, two places. 
the horns of the altar, and then where, where you take the blood with your finger and you put it on the horns, and then pour the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. So it's at the, the four corners. So let's say let's say this was an altar. The altar was was a uh, it had all four equal sides. So this is not an exact picture, but this is a rectangular. Well, this is a rectangle. The altar was a square, but the horns were basically. Uh, if this was the if this is the altar, the horns were basically this outward protrusion kind of that went like this. Does that make sense? That's what it looked like. These horns on all four corners. So you take the blood, you put it on the on the four on the four uh, horns of the altar, and you pour it out. Then in verse thirteen, you take the fatty parts, you you put it on the altar, you give it to God. You burn it up, and this is your this is the this is a a, a priest offering. Uh, notice, okay. So notice uh, verse thirteen, the kind of the fatty parts. Why the fatty parts in verse thirteen? Look at verse fourteen. But the flesh of the bull, the rest of the bull, its hide, its skin, its refuse, right? You know, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. That is a sin offering. So why, why the fatty parts given to God in verse thirteen, and the rest of the bull you burn up in verse fourteen? The fatty parts represent like the best of an offering that you done. Absolutely, like the fats of your belong to the Lord. Yeah, like a ribeye steak is better than, than a fillet mignon, right? We all know this, right? <laughs> but yeah, the, the fatty part was considered the best part of the meat. Best part of the thing. And notice, notice this bull, everything gets burned. Uh, nobody gets to enjoy even a part of the bull. This is a total, all of it is burned. All of it is burned in this consecration for the priests, right? Um, no lingua tacos, no, um, no, not, not, no, not, no extra parts of getting, uh, coming to us. Point number three. We go to the first ram offering. We don't have any, we're done with the bull offering, and we go, point number three, the first ram offering, verses 15 through 18. Remember, there's two rams. Verses 15 through 18, Moses discusses the first ram offering. Okay? So in verse 16, we get the first of the two rams. The ram is slaughtered, and now... The blood of the ram is splashed all around the altar, right? So, so far, where is the blood on the altar? Where is it so far? Okay, it's, uh, no, no, no. The ram offering is splashed all around the offering, all around the altar. We've already taken the blood of the bull offering and put it on the altar. Where was that? Where were those? Where were those two places? The horns at the base, right? So there's the horns, blood at the blood on the horns, blood at the base, and now there's blood all around the, the offering, around the altar, right? It's uh, the entire ram is cut up in pieces. Um, you wash it, you put it with its pieces in its head. Verse eighteen, um, you offer up and smoke the whole, the entire ram. Right? It's a burnt offering to Yahweh, and, and we call this a whole burnt offering. We'll see whole burnt offerings in Leviticus. And that symbolizes what? What does a whole burnt offering symbolize? That the priest was dedicating his entire life, his entire life to God in consecration. That was the symbol, the significance of a whole burnt offering. That all of your life was being given to God. This is the this is the requirement to be a priest of God. You have to give him all of your life. And when you give him all of your life, look at verse 18. It is a soothing aroma. God is pleased with this, this whole burnt offering, right? Romans 12.1 Therefore I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice. Here's the idea of a whole burnt offering. A total sacrifice. Right, the light of the gospel. So Paul is bringing some imagery of the temple, the temple sacrifices in Romans 12. Um, 
Okay, point number four. We're done with the we're done with the bull offering. We're done with the first ram offering. Now we go to the second ram offering, and it's blood in verses 19 through 21. Look at verse 19. You then you shall take the second ram, and Aaron his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, kind of this atoning, kind of transfer all the sin. And then look at verse 20. You shall slaughter the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, the lobe of his son's right ears, and on the thumbs of the right hands, and on the big toes of the right feet, and splash the rest of the blood around on the altar. Okay? Um, then you take the blood that is on the altar and uh, some of the anointing oil, and, and then um, sprinkle it on Aaron and the, on the garments and the son, the son's garments, so that he shall be set apart as holy. As well as sons and his sons garments with him. So there's the there's the blood on the horns of the altar. There's, there's the blood blood on the base of the altar. There's blood around the altar at three places with respect to the altar. And then in verse twenty one, you take some of the blood that's on the altar. It doesn't say where on the horns or on the base or around it. And then you take some of the anointing oil, right? And then you sprinkle that blood that was on the altar onto the garments of Aaron. Right? Now, verse 20. Um, what is the read? I'm going to try to kind of train your mind to read critically and carefully. Verse 20. What do you notice about where the blood is sprinkled in verse 20? What do you notice? You're a detective. You want to figure out some pattern, some design. What do you notice about the sprinkling of the blood in verse 20 on Aaron's on Aaron and his sons? What do you notice? Okay, good, 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 good. Okay. You passed the first test of our detective exam. You're almost there. What else do you notice? Dominant, thumb, toes. Okay, okay. So it's like the big, the big parts of the... <laughs> You're getting close, but you haven't made detective yet, Sergeant. Okay. You're close, though. You're getting warm. <clears throat> notice the location. The location. Where is the location... Of the blood in these body parts. And that's what? Top, middle, bottom. Yeah, good, good. We, we have a detective here, guys. Our first detective. Cross life right here. Yes, the entire body. Top, middle, body. Suggesting what? Suggesting that dedication to God requires what? The entire person, right? Kind of like a. Another way of a, another way to show a, a whole burnt offering, right? All of the priests is required. You have to give all of yourself to God, brothers and sisters. As, as priests of Christ, right, winning the world to Jesus as this as this kingdom of priests, as this nation of priests. What we need to give all of ourselves to God in order to do that, yeah. right? That's what's required to be a priest of God. That's what we have to do. All of us. Now, point number five. Point number five. We're still not done with the second ram offering, right? There's still more of this second ram. And now we'll see uh, what happens to the rest of the second ram in verses 22 through 25. So you take the fat from the ram. This is the second ram. And the fat tail... And the fat covers the entrails, the lobe of the liver, the two kidneys, the fat is on them, on the right thigh, right? Uh, one cake of bread and one cake of uh, uh, one cake of uh, bread mixed with oil, one way from the basket of unleavened bread, which is set before Yahweh. Uh, you, you put it on the, you put all these things in the hands of Aaron and his sons. And instead of burning those things, remember, 
the in the first the first ram, uh, you, you you cut up the entire ram and everything was burned on the altar. Uh, the fatty portions of the meat that, that was the bull. Here is different. In the in the second ram, you have the fatty parts. You have some of the bread, and and before you you burn you, you don't burn it. You don't burn it yet. You first you put it in the hands of Aaron. And they wave them as a waving offering before God. Verse 24. So you're waving it before God. Um, I don't know the significance of that, but that's just what 20 verse says. Um, we continue, point number six, and we continue to look at the, the rest of the second uh, ram offering and uh, how the uh, Kind of the permanent features of, of Israel's sacrificial system in verses 26 through 30. God is going to make this a perfect, a permanent feature of, of this coordination process. So uh, verse, so you put them in hands in verse 24, you wave it around. Then verse 25, you take what you put in your hands, and then after you wave it, then you put it on the altar for a burnt offering, right? You burn all of that off. Now in verse 26, you still have meat left from the second ram. You still have uh, meat left. You have the breast, verse 26. So that's uh, that's part of ram, uh, the breast of Aaron's ram ordination. Uh, they wave it before Yahweh. And that portion, right, that portion is for Aaron and his sons to eat. So they can eat of the second ram. They can eat the second ram. Verse 27, that shall set apart as holy the rest of the wave offering, right? They can also eat the thigh of that second ram. So the second ram, the breast and the thigh, right? Got some white meat, got some dark meat, pretty good. And you get and the and the priests get to eat it. Uh, and this is a um, you know it's called a, a contribution offering, the offering that uh, the thigh of the the thigh of the second ram is singled out and called a contribution offering. And verse twenty eight, this is the permanent nature of this ordination process. It shall be for Aaron and his sons as a perpetual statue for the sons of Israel, or as a contribution offering. In other words, make sure you feed your priests, always. Make sure they get the thigh and the breast. And so, it'll come, this offering, um, yeah, this offering, is, it comes from Israel. Verse 29, uh, the holy garments of Aaron, you can Pass them down to the next generation until they kind of wear out. They're, they're there for Aaron and his sons and his sons. Verse 30. They wear the vestments for seven straight days. Why do they wear the vestments for seven straight days? Yes. Let's look at verse 35. Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons according to all that I have commanded you. You shall ordain them through seven days. So all that we went through, you do that seven days, seven times. Seven times, you have a bull, two rams. Next day, bull, two rams. Next day, bull, two rams. So you need a total of seven, bull, seven bulls and 14 rams and a lot of bread and a lot of, and a lot of vapors, a lot of oil. But what, what 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 else does seven represent? Creation. Creation, exactly. And so this is to signify this is what our relationship with God should have always been. This is what it should always be. Total consecration. Holiness to God. All of our all of our bodies from top to bottom given over to God. Right? This is how the people of Eden live. Point number seven. Point number seven. Um, we get instructions 
on how we are to eat or how the, the priests are to eat part of this ordination ram, right? They get to eat the breast, they get to eat the thigh, but this is how you cook it, right? You shall take the ram of ordination and you can't microwave it, you can't fry it, you can't put it in a toaster oven, you have to boil it. You boil it, it's flesh in a holy place. It has to be boiled. And then you eat it, verse 32. You eat the flesh of the ram, the breast and the thigh. Uh, apparently there is some bread. Bread, I just kind of know where that comes from. You have some bread, leftover bread. You eat it at the doorway of the tent of the meeting. Uh, it doesn't say where, if you're inside the tent or outside the tent, I'm guessing, maybe outside the tent. Doubt you want to get the have the crumbs fall inside inside the tent where the the, the candle is and the and the, the showbread is. So I'm just guessing it's outside the tent. And then you'll eat those things uh, that set them apart. Layman can't eat of it. This this food, this breast and this thigh is only for the priests. Now. If there's any, any any food left over in verse 34, you can't give it away. No sharing. You have to burn it with remainder with fire. It, it's holy. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. So this is pretty, if you were a priest and you were a high priest, I mean, this would be really powerful, right? I mean, it would, it would convey to you in a powerful way that, that you are truly set apart to God. That even the food you eat like special, and you can't give it away. And it will remind you of just how great a responsibility you have mediating God to man and man to God. Um, again, verse, okay, so 31 to 34. Now we get a summary statement, and point number eight, summary statement on the ordination. Thus you shall do to Aaron to his sons according to all they have commanded you commanded you, you shall ordain them through seven days. Point number nine, now we move on to something new. We move on to something new in, in, in verses 36 and 37. Now, the altar is consecrated. Before it was the priests who were consecrated, now we consecrate the altar. And by consecrating the altar, you're consecrating the entire Old Covenant system of worship. The, 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 when you, when, as you ordain this, or you consecrate this altar, it shows you we now have a worship system that is in effect. It's online. All systems go when you all when you when you anoint and when or when you consecrate the altar. Look at verse thirty-six. Uh, each day. You shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement, and you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for him, uh, uh, for it, and you shall anoint it and set it apart as, as holy. For seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and set it apart as holy. Then the altar shall be most holy, and whatever touches the altar shall be holy. So that the altar is kind of like um, the kind of the what what what. Everything revolves around this altar. The old old covenant system of worship, tabernacle worship, it all revolves around the altar. So by consecrating the altar, you consecrate all of the worship that happens within the tabernacle, right? And and, and how do you how do you how do you uh, 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 consecrate it? It's through blood. It's through blood. It's the blood of a bull as a sin offering, right? That's what sets in motion this old covenant system of worship. In the book of Hebrews, the writer says that Jesus' blood consecrates a new worship system, right? That's worship, worship 2.0. So in the same way that this altar consecrated the old covenant system of worship, Jesus' blood in Hebrews uh, consecrates a new system of worship, right? Worship 2.0. So, what would happen on the altar? You would do what? You would you would present dead dead animals on the altar, right? Everything that went on 
when everything that went onto the altar was a was a sacrificial animal. It was a dead animal. It was a, 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 a living thing had to die for it for it to make it to that altar, right? And so that altar was pointing to what? The cross. The cross. And so in a way, the cross is like an Old Testament altar, right? When Jesus bled on that on that on that cross of an altar, he inaugurated a new way of coming to God, a new way of drawing near and going to Him. Right? So when you see this altar in verses 35, 36 and thirty-seven, think of the cross. Think of the cross. The cross is the, the New Testament altar for Jesus as well. An altar appointed forward to the forgiveness of sins when Jesus would die for us. Seven days you need to do it. Verse 36. Now, this is a bonus question. If you get this right, or if you get some of the answers right, you get a slice of cake. You get a slice of cake after a big slice. Okay? Okay, Peter? Get ready. So, what's the difference between... Give me one, one difference. There's a lot of difference. Give me one difference between the consecration of the priest and the consecration of the altar. Real easy. Consecration of the altar in verse, verses 36 and 37. That's all you got. So what's the, what are some of the difference, differences between the altar consecration and the priest consecration? Give me one difference. <laughs> this is really easy because did, 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 did the um, priest need to sanctify every day for seven days? Yeah, yes, yeah, so the priest should have seven days consecration, right? Really? Yeah, seven days. Look, 35. Verse 35. 35. Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons according to all that I have commanded you, you shall ordain them through seven days.
That's for the first lamb in the morning. The second lamb at night, verse 41, you shall offer it the same grain offering, the same Greek offering as in the morning. So that kind of that kind of summarized verse 40, right? So what, what did we read, read in verse 40? We read of a grain offering and of a drink offering. And uh, verse 42, it shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before Yahweh, where I will meet with you to speak with you there. So every day, Israel is to offer a burnt offering signifying what? God, all of my life is given to you. All of my life is dedicated to you. I mean, what a powerful witness that would be, right? Every day, people are watching you in the morning and at night sacrificing this one-year-old man. And they would ask, Every single day, twice a day, in the morning and at night, and they would say, "It's a symbol of this is we're supposed to give all of our lives to God." Right? Um, that's pretty awesome. Okay, so this is it. Um. So point number eleven, last last point, verse forty-two through forty-six. And here we get a reminder and a promise of God's presence among his people. Look at verse 42. Um, it shall be a continually burnt offering throughout your, your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before Yahweh, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. I will meet there, I will meet there with the sons of Israel, and, and it shall be set apart as holy by my glory. I will set the tent of meeting and the altar apart as holy. I will also set Aaron and his sons apart to me as holy to minister as priests to me. I dwell, I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. They shall know that I am Yahweh their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am Yahweh their God. So before uh, God's presence would be in the form of a pillar of cloud uh, during the day and a pillar of fire at night. Um, later, Moses would go to Sinai to to, to be in God's presence. But now, God's presence will be in the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting. That's where he will meet his people. And he says something interesting. Um, in verse uh, 43, I will meet there with the sons of Israel, and it shall be set apart as holy by my glory. What makes something holy? Uh, the rituals, yes, it was a symbol of that, but did it really make that holy? Um, did the meat, the meat, the breast and the thigh that, that Aaron ate and then the leftovers did, when they throw away, did that exclusivity really make that meat holy? No, it was, a, it was just a symbol of holiness. What makes something holy? His presence, right? My glory. God's presence is, is what makes us holy. The rituals are important, verse 44, but more important is God's presence, right? Uh, now, he, he says, I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. God will now dwell with his people. He can advance his salvation plan. But, there's a tension, right? He's present, but still separate. Still separate. And it's telling us there's more to come. There's more to come. Because this can't be the, this can't be the end where God is present, but you can only come near through a high priest. Right? So there's, it tells you that there's more to come. Um, verse 46 they shall know that I am Yahweh the, idea, the implication is they shall know that I'm the only God I'm the only one um, 
remember, if you were growing up in this time, you grew up as a polytheist, a pantheist, a syncretist, and in the Old Testament, that phrase, they will know that I am Yahweh, it's, it's, it's written 68 times to remind them, to remind them, there's nobody but me. I'm the only God. I'm the only God. They need to be reminded of that reality and truth all the time. And then he says this at the end of verse 46. I am Yahweh their God. And um, what is that shorthand for? It's shorthand for Israel, know that I'm the one who created you. I'm the one who controls all things. I have all power. I provide all these blessings. I am Yahweh. There's no other God doing these things but me. I am Yahweh. So give up your polytheism, your pantheism, your syncretism, and believe that I am the only God, and place your full, entire faith in me, obeying my covenant. That's what I, I am Yahweh. That's what he's trying to, that's the message he's trying to relay to his people. Worship me. Trust me. I'm the only one. I'm the only creator. I'm the only one who can bring you back to Eden. And uh, that's about that kind of, that message is contained in that declaration to his people. All right. Oh,